Now, let's bow and we have a word of prayer before I bring you the Word of God. Father, I pray that this morning, you will allow your servant to deliver your word with clarity, simplicity, but also with authority. May your word become alive for us. And we thank you that your word is able to instruct us and to inspire us. And as we seek to get to know the person and the power of the Holy Spirit in this season, I pray that your word will become, that will bring that revelation to us. So we thank you, Lord, and we look forward to hear what your Spirit have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the great evangelist D.L. Moody once held up an empty bottle before his church, and then he asked them this simple question, how can I get the air out of this bottle? And immediately, one guy in front shouted, suck it out with a pump. You know, and D.L. Moody replied, that would create a vacuum, and it will only shatter the bottle. And then the people were not sure what to answer. And then Moody smiled, picked up a pitcher of, of water, and he began to fill up the bottle right to the brim. And then he turned to the congregation and he said this, now all the air has been removed. So what's my point? My point is this, victory in the Christian life is not accomplished by sucking out a sin here and there, but it is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And by that, I mean to be so surrendered, to be so mastered by the Holy Spirit in our daily life that there is no desire to go on sinning. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2 tell us this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. And that is why, brothers and sisters, you and I need the person and the power of the Holy Spirit to live that victorious Christian life. And in relation to this, there are two very important Sundays in the history of the church. And I'm talking about Resurrection Sunday and then Pentecost Sunday. Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. And we're going to look at them one at a time. Firstly, Resurrection Sunday. We find this recorded for us in John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood amongst them, and he said this, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, this is the first appearance of the resurrected Christ to his disciples. Now, what were the disciples doing at that time? The Bible tells us that they were hiding in fear behind closed doors. And that is why Jesus, when he appeared to them, the first thing he said was this, peace, shalom, be with you. And notice that he didn't just say it once, but he said it twice because he really wanted to, uh, to, to remind the disciples that he is with them and that the peace of God is theirs. And he says, peace be with you. And then he showed them evidence that he is alive. He's trying to let them know that this is not just a vision. This is not just an illusion, but this is legit. And what 
What's his goal in doing all this? Basically this, he was prepping them up to be sent out. But I'd like you to notice that before he can do that, before he can send them forth, he first breathed upon them, the Bible says, right? He breathed upon them, and then he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the word breathe in the Greek is the Greek word ephesao, which actually gives the word picture of someone blowing a flute. Now, what does that mean? You know, when you see someone blowing a flute, it means that it is up front, uh, it's up close and personal. It's not just from a distance. So I believe that what, you, what does this remind us of? You know, it tells us that Jesus was with them in close quarters and then He breathed upon them. What does this remind you of? That's right. It should remind us of creation. Right? The word breathe, ephesao, is the Greek equivalent that is used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. When God breathed upon Adam and Adam became a living soul. Now, the same way that God breathed life into Adam in Genesis, He is now breathing upon His disciples. Now, the only difference is this. Now, Jesus is breathing on them resurrection life. It's not just life, it is resurrection life. Life that has overcome death. In other words, the disciples at that moment was born again. What the first Adam had failed, the second Adam, Jesus, had paid the price and He has given birth to a new race, not of the Adamic nature, but of the nature of Christ. And I'd like you to notice also that this is not symbolic of a future event, but it took place right there and then. The word receive in the Greek is lambano, which is an imperative verb, which means receive ye now. So when Jesus breathed on them, He's literally saying receive ye now. It was a single complete experience that took place at that point in time in John chapter 20. Now, you need to understand that up to this point, the Old Testament believers have looked forward by faith through types and, and, and prophetic promises to this redemptive act, but it was always in the future for them. But now, it is happening. See, why? I tell you why, because Jesus has resurrected. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Apostle Paul wrote this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that, Je that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, how many of you know the disciples already declared that Jesus is Lord prior to Resurrection Sunday? But now, they also believe Jesus has risen. So now their salvation is sealed. And at that very moment, in that very room, the disciples received the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were born again in the Spirit. They were regenerated by the Spirit. They were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They were given eternal life. In short, they experienced New Testament salvation. See, the Holy Spirit is now in them. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit has taken place. But this is still not the promise of the Spirit that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. Why? Because there is one more condition to be fulfilled. What is that condition? Jesus must be glorified. Now, up to this point in John 20, has Jesus been crucified? Yes. 
Has Jesus resurrected? Yes. Has Jesus been glorified? Not yet. And that is why Jesus then went on to tell his disciples on the day of his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. Listen to what Jesus said here. Acts 1, verse 4 and 5. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the promise of the Father is still to come. Okay? And when did it come? It came on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, the promised Holy Spirit was poured out upon the waiting disciples. Now this brings us to the second Sunday that is of great importance to the church. And that will be Pentecost Sunday. Okay, Pentecost Sunday. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and then suddenly the Spirit was poured out. And that was the day they were waiting for. Last week, we talked at length about it. It was the day that changed our world. The disciples were waiting, and then suddenly it happened. They saw tongues of fire visibly, they spoke in tongues verbally. The onlookers actually heard them speaking in their foreign languages audibly. They knew that they knew they have received the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and 33 recorded this. God has raised this Jesus to life and we were all witnesses of it exalted to the right hand of God. In other words, now He's glorified. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. It was also audible. It's also visible. They can hear it. They can see it. So let me summarize these two important Sundays for you. On Resurrection Sunday, they encountered the resurrected Christ. But on Pentecost Sunday, they encountered the ascended Christ, the glorified Christ. On Resurrection Sunday, they experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost Sunday, they experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. On Resurrection Sunday, they were regenerated. They were born again. But on Pentecost Sunday, they were empowered and anointed. On Resurrection Sunday, the result was life. But on Pentecost Sunday, the result was power. And we did both. Further studies in the book of Acts will reveal that after the day of Pentecost, this phrase, receive the Holy Spirit, is now used more for the empowering of the Holy Spirit and not so much now for the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. But on the day of Pentecost, when the crowd saw what happened, and then they asked, you know, what shall we do? They asked Peter, what shall we do? The apostle Peter stood up and outlined exactly what they should do. And he declared in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Listen carefully to this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. In other words, this is not just for the day of Pentecost. It is for all times. It's not just for the people that were present on the day of Pentecost. It is for all that the Lord will call, which includes you and it includes me. 
Okay, and what are the four elements in which a person can enter the kingdom of God? He says, number one, repent from our sins. Number two, to believe in Jesus and His finished work on the cross. Number three, be water baptized. And then number four, receive the Holy Spirit. And I think this has become a pattern in which one can enter the kingdom of God. And this morning, I want to examine together with you four other biblical records of the outpouring of the Spirit from the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost so that we can establish this pattern. Okay, so join me now as I take you through this journey. Here are four biblical records post-Pentecost that establish this pattern. Number one is the Samaritan story. You'll find this in Acts chapter 8, verse 14 to 21. Acts chapter 8, you notice, begins with Philip going down to the city of Samaria and preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, it tells us this. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. And after they heard Philip, what was the result of Philip's ministry? Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 12 now. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, in other words, the gospel, they were baptized, both men and women. So from here, we know that these believers in Samaria have heard the gospel, they heard the truth, they have repented, they have believed, and they were also water baptized. In short, they were saved. Okay, but they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. And then we read further in Acts chapter 8, now verse 14 to 21. Listen to what happened next. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria has accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them and they have simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now we see here that the Samaritans received salvation through Philip, but they later received the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands of Peter and John. So, question. How would the, how would the apostles know that the Holy Spirit had not yet come on these new believers. I think it must be because they have not experienced any of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit like the apostles did on the day of Pentecost, right? So what did Peter and John do? He went to lay hands on them and that's when they received the Holy Spirit. Now from this record, it appears that the Holy Spirit came on them when they received the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, they all knew it. Something tangible, something visible must have happened, although nothing specific was mentioned. But I think that it must be visibly powerful enough for Simon the sorcerer who was present to actually offer the, the apostles money to buy that ability. How do I know this? Acts chapter 8, verse 18 to 20. Tell us this. When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hand, what did he do? He offered them money and he said to them, 
give me also this ability so that anyone or everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter turned to Simon and said, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. See, so something must have happened. Something that prompted Simon the sorcerer. He wanted the same ability. He wanted the ability to actually lay hands and see people get hit with the Holy Spirit. So again, the pattern we see here for the Samaritans was this. Repent from sin, believe in Jesus, be water baptized, and then receive the Holy Spirit. That's the same pattern as what happened, uh, as what Peter outlined for us in Acts chapter 2. Okay, now let's move to the second one. And second incident was the Apostle Paul. The next thing that happened was that when the Apostle Paul was when the Apostle Paul came to Christ. Now you look at Acts chapter 9, verse 3 to verse 6. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he replied, Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now this was the point where Saul encountered the Lord Jesus. He was on his way to persecute the church when he got hit by the power of God, thrown off his horse, and then he realized at that point he was going against the living God. He was persecuting the people of God. And that was when Saul repented and Saul believed in Jesus. He had that revelation of who Jesus is. And when Saul got up from the ground, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, he was a changed man. The greatest missionary against Christ became the greatest missionary for Christ. Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle. But there was more that God had to do for Paul. He was blinded, we were told, and had to be led into the city of Damascus. Now, ironically, even though he was blind physically at that point, this was the first time that Paul could actually see spiritually. Now, in the meantime, God was calling an unknown disciple by the name of Ananias and then giving him a suicidal mission, if I can put it that way. Uh, this is what was found in Acts chapter 9, verse 11 to 15. Listen to this. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. So this is the Lord talking to Ananias and said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. You see, God already engineered all this. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen vessel. Now, imagine if you were Ananias and you were sent to pray for a man who has been known to kill people like you. Now, how would you feel? I think you would hesitate too. See, God even told Ananias that he's supposed to heal Saul's eyes and Saul's blindness. Now, Ananias, must, his first thought must be this, you know, what? If I pray for him and nothing happened, then what? 
he will remain blind and I will be dead, right? But God commanded Ananias, go, this man is my chosen vessel. So in obedience, Ananias went. And we all know the rest of the story. The miracle happened and Saul was baptized. See? So look at Acts chapter 9, verse 17 to 19 now. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, notice he already called him brother. In other words, he's part of the family already. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you're coming here, have sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again the miracle happened. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now again, you see the same pattern, right? Firstly, he repented from his sin. Then secondly, he believed in the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, he was baptized. And then he received the Holy Spirit. All of these things happened to the Apostle Paul as well. Now, even though in this record, there was nothing said about Paul receiving the Holy Spirit with any manifestations. But we all know that Paul spoke in tongues from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, right? Where Paul testified, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So something must have happened to him as well. Then Acts chapter 9, verse 22, also testified this way. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The power of God, brothers and sisters, was visibly evident in the Apostle Paul's ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. We all know that. And in fact, Paul described his own ministry with these words in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. I persevered in demonstrating amongst you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. So what's my point? I think the Apostle Paul demonstrated the same pattern, right? He repented, he believed, he was water baptized, and he, was, and he received the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it all worked out in his ministry. He demonstrated the same pattern, the same power, in his ministry. That's another uh, example for us. Here's the third one, the Gentile Cornelius. Okay, now let's move on. The next pivotal event that took place was in Acts chapter 10. See, what happened was, God showed the apostle Peter a vision of clean and unclean animals to convince Peter. You see, Peter always have a strong bias for, for his Jewish uh, race, right? And, and God had to convince him through a vision to, to get him to go and speak to a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. And we were told that Cornelius was a God-fearing Gentile. And Peter actually declared the good news of the gospel to Cornelius and to his household. But I have a feeling that when Peter went there, he must have been quite long-winded. So God literally interrupted him mid-sermon and took over the meeting. Let me read for you the record in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to 48. Listen to this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. 
Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we had. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now we were told the Holy Spirit was poured out upon this Gentile family. And Pentecost actually happened for them. So notice what happened. They heard the gospel being presented and therefore we can safely infer that as soon as they did that, they repented, they put their faith in Jesus Christ and then suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon them and they all began to praise God, they spoke in tongues and all that. And when Peter saw this, he went on to say this, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now listen, brothers and sisters, what convinced Peter and Cornelius that Cornelius have received the Holy Spirit? What convinced him was because they spoke in tongues just like the apostles did on the day of Pentecost. And therefore, Peter concluded immediately, there is nothing to stop them from being water baptized. And brothers and sisters, notice this. This was the only incident where the order was slightly modified, okay? Cornelius repented, he believed, he received the Holy Spirit first before he was baptized in water as against all the others, okay? But when Peter was later questioned by the other Jewish believers as to why he baptized a Gentile, you see, this is something really out of the, out, out, out of uh, the, order for them because the, the church was mainly Jewish at that time. But here is Peter baptizing a Gentile. And then they ask him, how could you do that? And you notice uh, in his testimony, he referred to how the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius as he did for them on the day of Pentecost. Let me read for you Acts chapter 11, verse 15 to 17, where he recorded this. As I began to speak, this is Peter testifying, the Holy Spirit came on them, referring to Cornelius, as he had come on us at the beginning. What would that be talking about? The day of Pentecost. The same way as it happened for them on the day of Pentecost, it happened to Cornelius. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift, he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? to think that I could stand in God's way. Now, you notice again, what convinced Peter that the Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit was that he came on them as had come on us at the beginning, which is making reference back to the day of Pentecost of how they received the Holy Spirit and they all spoke in tongues, you see. So when the other disciples heard this, they also concluded in Acts 15, uh, verse, um, verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that led to what? Life. Now again, in the case of Cornelius, we see the same four elements. Repent from your sin, believe in what Jesus did for us on the cross, be water baptized, and then receive 
the Holy Spirit. It's just that in this case, God reversed the order. Uh, he received the Spirit first before he got water baptized. I think it's to overcome Peter's racial prejudice. Okay, and that was what happened for Cornelius as well. And lastly, we look at the last one, the Ephesian believers. The final passage that we will look at to establish the pattern now is Acts 19, verse 1 to 7. Listen to this. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So what did Paul do? Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism, they replied. And then Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus and on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. Now, Paul came to Ephesus and there he met some disciples. Now, obviously, Paul was given the impression that they were disciples of Christ, which is why he immediately asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? when you believe? Because this question is only relevant to believers, right? But when they replied, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That was when Paul realized that they were not disciples of Christ, but only disciples of John the Baptist. They only understood uh, the need to repent from their sins, but they have not come to faith in Jesus. So what did Paul do? Paul went on to share the gospel with them and then get them to believe in Jesus. And then they were baptized in water in the name of Jesus. And finally, they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And now they got the full package. What is that? Repent from their sins, believe in the work of Jesus, and be water baptized and then receive the Holy Spirit. The pattern remains throughout all these incidences where we see the Holy Spirit at work. Paul later reminded the Ephesians of how they were ushered into the kingdom of God, right? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. Right? Because they preached to them the gospel of your salvation. And when you believe, then what happened? You were marked in Him with a seal. What is that seal? It's the promised Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, I've systematically taken you through all the, the incidences where it talks about the outpouring of the Spirit in the book of Acts. And we see this pattern of how one enters the kingdom of God after the day of Pentecost. And the pattern seems to remain, right? Repent from our sin, believe in Jesus Christ, be water baptized, and then receive the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to receiving the Holy Spirit, I found that it was a very distinct experience where something tangible happens that enables the believer to know beyond a shadow of doubt that they have received the Holy Spirit's power. You know, look at the book of Acts. It's never a case of, and someone asks uh, a believer, have you received the Holy Spirit? 
the answer was never a case of, I think so, or I hope so, or I, I like to believe so, but it's always, I know that I have received the Holy Spirit, or I don't. You see, it's, it's either or. Why? Because each time that there is a, that, that the Holy Spirit was poured out, and every time a person received the empowering of the Holy Spirit, they know there is an infilling, then there's an overflowing. And the overflow, it, I, I, from looking at all these incidences, consistently happens to the mouth. Okay, there is the built-in overflow pipe, as I told you last week, is from the heart to the mouth, you see, and we consistently overflow, either in tongues, prophecies, or spontaneous praise. And it is like what Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 says, for, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. The same thing Paul mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what will happen? When we are full of the Holy Spirit, we will speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this overflow is just the starting point. But what is the evidence of one that has been empowered by the, by the, by the, the Holy Spirit? I believe it is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power. That's what Jesus said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. I have biblical authority to tell you that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will find this twofold evidence. Number one is power. You shall receive power. Power to live that victorious Christian life. We now have the power to overcome sin, to fight temptation. We have the power to be who Jesus is. We have the power to develop the fruit and to nurture the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. We also have the power to do what Jesus did, to heal the sick, cast out demons, operate the gifts of the Spirit, and move in God's dunamis, God's power. See, you shall receive power. That's number one. Number two is witness, the boldness to witness. Okay, and you shall become my witnesses. We now had the boldness to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. We can share the gospel boldly without fear. And we can only, um, we, we can not only talk about the good news of the kingdom of God, but we can actually demonstrate the power therein. And we can now meet the needs of this world with the power of God. And the kingdom of God will advance in force. But brothers and sisters, to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, the pattern is clear. We need to repent from our sins. We need to believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross. We need to be water baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. And church, let me ask you this morning as we close. Now, have you repented from all of our sins? And to the word repent means to have a change of mind which results in a change of action. Now, have we been broken by our own sins, the wrongdoings that we have committed towards God and towards others? And if we turn away from all this and we truly seek to live a life mastered by the Holy Spirit, 
then I think we are truly repentant. Here's number two. Have you believed in what Jesus has done for you on the cross? Are you trusting fully in the grace of God to forgive and to set you free from your, your sins and from your guilt purely based on His finished work on the cross, not on our own efforts? You know, or are we still trying to earn our way to get right with God? Are we still seeking to work to be saved? Or have we truly trusted in the finished work of Christ? Number one, repent. Number two, believe. And thirdly, have we been water baptized? I think this is the outward act of obedience to an inward faith that we have towards God. If we have done the first two, the, what, being water baptized is the, is the next step of obedience that we take. And I want to challenge you, if you have not yet been water baptized, just do it. Now, we have a water baptism class coming up very, very soon. And a water baptism that's going to happen around Easter. Go for it. And I encourage you, go for it. And finally, church, the same question that the apostles asked the Samaritans and the Ephesian believers in the book of Acts, we need to ask ourselves, have I received the empowering of the Holy Spirit when I believe? I think this is the key to a victorious Christian life. It is what turned the early church into a power force that transformed the world. And this is what can transform our spiritual life from one of defeat to one of victory, from one of deadness to one of vitality, from one where it is based on just ourselves to one that is based on the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we need. Repent, believe, be water baptized, and then receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge every one of us that this morning, we will come before the Lord and say, God, give me the whole, give me the full dose, give me the full package and let the Lord minister to us. Would you bow your heads wherever you are or whether you're watching before in, in your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you are, would you just bow your hearts before the Lord? If it's convenient, even and you want to, you can even get on your knees and say, God, I'm crying out to you. Keep, help me to experience the fullness of your kingdom. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is here to fill us and to empower us. So wherever you are, bow your heads with me as I pray for you and just receive. As a family, as an individual, as friends gathered together, would you just receive and allow God to just minister to you. Our God is not governed by space and time. And he can minister across even the, the waves, the airwaves. So would you receive as I pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you as men and women of the kingdom. And we say, God, we truly want, we are broken by the things that we have done that has displeased you. And Lord, this morning, we repent from anything that we could have done that would, that would displease you. Things that we've done against you, things we've done against our fellow brothers and sisters. Lord, we turn away from this. And God, I pray that you come and give us a heart of repentance, a heart that will constantly desire to walk in intimacy with you, not allowing anything to come between us. God, we turn away from all of our wrongdoings. And God, we thank you 
that we can do this only because of your finished work on the cross. Thank you that on the cross of Calvary, you shed your blood so that every sin, past, present and future can be cleansed. Lord, thank you that because of your broken body, today we have victory over sin. Thank you for your finished work on the cross of Calvary. Lord, thank you for the empowering of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you can fill us with power from above. Lord, we know that we cannot live this Christian life in our own strength, so we look to you this morning. Lord, wherever your people are, I pray that you come and touch them. Lord, you fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, those who have never experienced being empowered by your Holy Spirit right now, you come and you fill them, you touch them, you baptize them, immerse them into the power of the Holy Spirit so that they will find that ability, that enabling to do what we cannot do in our flesh. Oh, Spirit of God, come and take control of every one of your people. Lord, may you raise a church that is moving, not in our own strength, but in your spirit. And Lord, I pray this morning, come and touch your people, wherever they are. Touch them. Touch them. Thank you, Lord. Now, wherever you are, take a moment. Let the Holy Spirit just minister to you. You know, let Him feel you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And as the Lord feels you out of your belly, let those rivers of living water begin to flow. Let the power of God become your portion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, minister to your people, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just ask that you would take each one of us and make us consecrated vessels for you. Men that are born again and filled with your Holy Spirit so that we can begin to be a voice to a lost world. God, we can begin to make a difference in this broken world that we live in. Thank you, Lord, for all this. We receive this. Let revelation come, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.